Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. As the great hymn proclaims, Thy strong word bespeaks us righteous, bright with Thine own holiness. We gather this next hour around the gift of the Holy Scriptures and the Word, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light, and by His cross we are declared righteous on account of Him and Him alone. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Brady Finner, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today we'll be studying the short epistle Jude with Pastor Joshua Knippa from Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Nederland, Texas. Pastor Knippa, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Well, greetings, Pastor Finner. Good to talk to you. Glad to be with you on Thy Strong Word on KFUO and around the world. Uh, glad to be with you. Absolutely. A special thanks to Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. LHF distributes Bible-based, Christ-centered catechisms and children's books around the world to point people to Christ in their first language. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information. lhfmissions.org. All right. Well, first off, Pastor Knippa, as we all have a story and God is at work in our churches here and around the world, I was going to have you first start saying a few things about yourself and the ministry at Holy Cross in Nederland. Yeah, well, I tell you what, it's uh, it's been crazy. Uh, I got here uh, right in the spring, uh, right at the end of March, uh, which, if you'll remember, uh, it's kind of when everything started changing uh, a little bit. And so uh, it's been a uh, uh, strange time of settling in here, uh, but it's been a strange time for everybody uh, in, in everything that they've been doing. So uh, we are... Uh, going about our business here of uh, worshiping the Lord, receiving his gifts uh, weekly, uh, and just uh, looking forward to, to that time when, um, you know, everything is a little bit more stable and as we remember it, uh, but at the same time embracing the challenges that exist and uh, looking to proclaim Christ in the midst of all of that. So uh, we're just uh, kind of rolling along. Uh, I'm originally from Texas. Uh, ministry called me out of the state for a number of years, but uh, it's good to be back and uh, glad to, to be serving the Lord here. Very good. We first met in Wisconsin, and during that time, uh, there were many conversations about Texas, especially when we would gather in January, and you were ready to leave that moment. And so you're happy to be back, and then the weather in Texas? Well, uh, it's uh, as we speak here in early January, the high today is going to be 67 degrees. So, um we're, uh, I'll roll with that. I'll roll with Praise that. The Lord. Well. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, as you would say. Yeah. So I'm going to ask one more question, and then we'll move on to Scripture. Is You hear a lot of discussions from people from Texas. and Minnesota, we have our own intricacies and in how we talk about things, but there always is pride in the state of Texas. So what? tell me this. What is the best part of being in Texas? You know, uh, for for me, I'm a family guy, so it's it's good to be close to family and and uh, and having those folks nearby where where you can uh, visit them with a little more frequency than if you live away from them. Although, as we've as we've seen uh, here uh, in the last year or so, some of that has changed as well. But uh, it's good to be close to family, and it's good to be um, able to uh, to be with them uh, in those opportune times. Uh, although we do, you know we can be together as the family of God anywhere that we are. And uh, that's a great blessing too. 
Wonderful. I thought you were going to mention Whataburger, but that family is, well, is probably that. better. Also, uh, <laughs> they got a new chicken sandwich, I, I think, uh, that, that I'll need to check out here. I'm into that. I'm into that. Well, today we are going to search the scriptures of Jude. And one of the great um, lines I was reading in this is to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. As we are looking to the scriptures and to contend for the faith that we have in Christ, uh, Pastor Knippa, can you begin us in prayer? Yeah, I would love to. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for Pastor Fennern and the, the ministry that he's involved in here with Thy Strong Word. Uh, Lord, I ask that you be with us as we open up the pages of Scripture. Uh, be with us in our discussion and be with our hearers as well. We commend our time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so let's do this. Let's just dig in the first two verses, and then we'll talk about uh, where we want to go. Uh, so let's begin. Reminder to our listeners that we are reading from the ESV version of Jude, only one chapter, um, and his first two verses, one and two. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So as we look at the beginning of Jude, is there any background or any first thoughts you want to have, especially those two verses, or anything else you want to share, Pastor? Yeah, well, you get uh, Jude, a brother of James. He, it's interesting, he says, a servant of Jesus Christ. So, so as Jude writes, and, and uh, the brother James, of course, Jesus, uh, I guess we would say half-brother, uh, who's the you know the pastor at the church in Jerusalem, and then Jude also then uh, probably a half brother of Jesus, and so uh, it's interesting that he identifies with James as his brother, but he doesn't point out that relationship with Jesus, and and I think that that is um, in large part for Jude, he doesn't um, he's not trying to capitalize off of that relationship with Jesus, but but instead um, you know he points to James, he points to the church, he points to, and, and his big thing, and he lists it first, he's a servant of Jesus. And so that's, that is his basis. Uh, you know, that is his pedigree. That's what gives him the, I don't know if we want to say authority, I guess we want to say authority, the authority mm -hmm. from which he's going to speak. Um, look, my, my big thing is that I'm a servant of Jesus and, and not, not anything else that, that gives me any more uh, clout, perhaps, than, than, than that. It's just I serve Jesus. And so um, I like seeing that from Jude. Absolutely. And, you know, there's so many different ways we could be looking at this and a lot of academic uh, look at who's this Jude, what is happening here. But I think the, and you can look at this. I mean, I know you looked at it. Um, uh, there's a wonderful commentary on this by Curtis Giese, Curtis Giese from Concordia a commentary by CPH and really does a great job of looking at it. And how should we look at it really is Jude, as far as we can tell, best uh, way of looking at it is that he's connected to James, who and they're both probably the, the half brother of Jesus, the natural sons of of um, uh, Joseph and Mary. A lot of different things we could talk. We could talk about that for a couple hours. I don't want to. But Jude mm -hmm. does a great job of pointing us to what we need to look at, which is Jesus Christ. And he is a servant of him. And that's what gives him authority. And for us in the church, that's what gives us authority as well. Any other thoughts on those first few verses or anything else? Oh, I think we're good. Okay. So I want to highlight one thing in verse one mm -hmm. is the wonderful language where he says, those who are called 
beloved in God the Father and kept in Jesus Christ, where he sets the stage right away of our identity, that our identity is, is in God's action upon us, that he calls us by the gospel, that we're loved by God and kept for Jesus Christ. It almost points us back to the small catechism um, where it continually uses those verbs that, that drives us to realize it is God who does all this to us. It is God who establishes this in Christ and his cross. And that is something that is present and it is all God's work. And then he says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So he, he sets the stage of their identity so well and, all the epistles does this, but Jude does this specifically well as we look at the rest of this, because Jude is, is a very unique, um, overlooked epistle. I mean, how many times have you preached on Jude in your ministry, Pastor? Well, you know, I checked. It only shows up once in the three-year lectionary, and that's the last Sunday of the church year, in, in once, I think in B. So it doesn't come up that often. You don't, you don't get the option very often if you're sticking with the pericopes. And so uh, you're right, it is, it is a, a rich... <laughs> Uh, it is a rich epistle, e even in its uh, brevity. Uh, it's very good. And, and um, that, that greeting and that term, beloved in God the Father, kept for Jesus Christ, uh, is, is kind of unique because you'll see a lot of times, uh, especially when Paul writes, uh, he'll write brothers. And uh, whenever I talk about that, I always um, share with people, you know, you could read this brothers and sisters because by saying brothers, he means Christians. And so he's not just talking uh, to, to the to the to the guys, he's talking to the gals as well. Um, but but here, you don't even have to put that that uh, explanation there because he just all who are beloved in God the Father, which means in any all Christians who are out there, everybody who's reading this, everybody who's hearing this, uh, this this is a message for you. Amen, amen. So he established this identity for an important reason. I would argue is because there's stuff going on in the church at that time that is important for them to remember whose they are in Christ. And so um, I'm going to read the next, uh, let's see here. I'm sorry. I kind of lost track of some of the things here. We'll do verses three and four, and then we'll continue our discussion. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who preferred the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So first of all, I wanted to highlight the, the reality is we don't know much about the recipients. We have to go simply by the text to realize what's happening. But right now we can already tell that there's something going on. You want to uh, take a stab at that? To, what, what's your thoughts here? These first two verses of three and four that gives us an idea of what's happening at this church. Yeah, and so we, we put Jude in that category of general epistles just because we don't uh, know for sure exactly what context he's writing to. Uh, although, um, certainly these kinds of things happen uh, in, in churches all the time where there are issues, there are false teachings that take place, and uh, Christians need to be on guard against that kind of stuff. And uh, the phrase that he uses uh, that, that perhaps he's best known for here in Jude is to contend for uh, the faith, and that, that contend, that verb is a, uh, it's an action word, it's used in 
the the context is is things like an athletic struggle or something like that. It's not uh, something that's easy to do. It's it it takes effort and it takes energy and it takes you know sweat equity and it 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 takes all those kinds of things uh, in order to uh, advance the the gospel of Jesus uh, and to fight against those. Uh, who would go against the gospel. And, and the warning here is that this creeps into the church. I'm reminded of, uh, you know, Paul um, in Acts 17, the, 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 not, not, not 17, but in Acts when he departs and speaks to the Ephesian elders and uh, talks to them about fierce wolves will, will, will come into the church. And uh, it's a bit of an echo of that warning here uh, from Jude is is that uh, you got to be on the lookout for this. You you need to talk about the gospel often so that people know what it is. So that when unscrupulous people who would take things in a different direction when they speak up, you need to recognize what they have to say and you need to you know contend against it and you need to speak against that. Absolutely. And one of the things that. I found here, and I thought of you when I was reading it, is these are almost fighting words. You know, this is like a Texan is ready to ready to go after it. He says, first of all, you know, he, he says, you know, I'm ready to talk about common salvation, but there's a bigger fish to fry right now. And to contend for the faith that was once all delivered to the saints, saying that there's a message that's not a new message. This is a message we've had for generations. So this is creedal type of stuff. This is a stuff that's there that is worthy for us to fight for till the very end. And I, I just, I thought that, I thought uh, Jude might be Texan um, when I first read yeah. this. What do you think? I'll buy it. I'm, I'm all in. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so based on verse four, what do you think was the issue? It has some unique language here. Um, certain people have crept in unnoticed who had designated for condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality. Any thoughts on what that, give us a feeling for what that means? Well, as you mentioned, uh, Pastor Fenner, it, it, it is strong language. And, uh, you know, words like condemnation, ungodly, pervert, uh, and deny, like the, these are not uh, just small problems, as you said. Uh, this is really big stuff. And so uh, as Jude writes and, and warns, you know, we don't know exactly who, uh, but certainly in our day and time, we can see examples of, of where this kind of thing has happened. This is one of the beauties of Scripture is that it speaks uh, yes to a certain time and a certain place. Uh, and, but even in cases where we might not know the specifics of, of what that original context was, uh, we can certainly see uh, echoes, uh, if not uh, you know, outright parallels to things that are happening now uh, in, in, in our context as well. Sure, absolutely. For there's always a time where there's ungodly people, very strong language that points us to the reality of the reason for truth, because there is times where things can be condemnable, ungodly people in our midst, and we always have to remember not to pervert the grace of our Lord. I'm thinking of moving on here. Um, any uh, last thoughts before we move to five through seven? Let's go. Okay. Uh, verses five through seven of Jude. I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. 
just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So it is very clear here that there's something very serious going on. And he says these words, now I want to remind you. And he pulls them back to look at these stories, um, these narratives from the Old Testament and from times prior. How would you highlight those stories he goes back to in the Old Testament? Yeah, so uh, one, one thing that I do value very much, uh, he, he starts with Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt. Uh, and to me, this is a great uh, kind of Trinitarian reference. It highlights the presence of Jesus, second person of the Trinity, eternally existent uh, from, you know, from, from eternity. Uh, and Jesus was certainly present and with God's people as they were saved in Egypt. So it's always nice to get that the, those little Trinitarian nuggets, uh, when we spot them, uh, they're good to see and they're good to highlight and, and know that they're there. Um, and uh, and so, so he gives us that. Uh, then he gives this, uh, this, uh, this section there, this reference, the angels uh, who did not stay within their own position of authority. Um, he has kept in eternal chains. Uh, and I'm reminded of a uh, Spurgeon quote, actually, uh, who who, here's how he extrapolates this. Spurgeon said, If sin could drag an angel from the skies, it may well pluck a minister from the pulpit, a deacon from the communion table, or a church member out of the midst of his brothers and sisters. If, if, if sin could draw even an angel out of the presence of God, uh, which, which is certainly you know, a, a thing that happened, uh, all the more, it's a warning, and it's a warning for us all the more that uh, th this could happen to you, and it's why the grace of Jesus is so important, and it's why our, you know, safeguarding our relationship with him, ob obviously, you know, he guides that relationship and is the power in it, um, but just know that if, if an angel could fall away, you could too, and so uh, it, it's all the more than, for the Christian, all the more comfort that uh, you are baptized, you are held close to Christ. Uh, it is not, he is not w one uh, to, to give you away easily. Uh, at the same time, know that there is a threat out there and, and be on guard against it. Wow, you know, that's one of the things that I like what you're saying there is that we are, first of all, that Jesus has been there from the beginning. Like, like you're saying, this goes back to John 1, this goes back to creation, that Jesus was there and he was part of the salvation of God's people. So he puts it in there saying, hey, listen, this Jesus has been here. And then secondly, really, I mean, I love how you said that, is because if the angels who are with the Lord himself can be tempted and fall away, Lord have mercy on each one of us, um, uh, Lord, keep us in the faith. And he gets into more of that later on in this epistle. But that's just a good reminder for all of us that there is a fight going on. Um, these are fighting words, which is why he doesn't just stick with common salvation nice talk as he gets deep and, and, and the nitty gritty and saying, we have to fight for this because there is a reality that there is evil, that there is the devil, and, and we always are needing God's grace and to turn back to him. Uh, so verse seven goes into Song of Gomorrah. Any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, well, it you know it's it's one of those that's uh, referenced multiple times in the New Testament, and and just an example of uh, one of those places like a people just given over to their to their sinfulness, um, and and this is what happens, and it it results in that in that story in that context and the destruction of those places, and um, it it um, um, it's 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 an example of of when sin takes over and and when you let sin have its way with you, it, it takes you to some really bad places and it leads ultimately to your to your death and destruction. Absolutely, and and you look at this. I love how he says in verse five. Now I want to remind you that although you once fully knew it that Jesus saved a people, so forth, and it's always good for us to be able to sit back and reflect on things. And I think this has happened a lot during COVID, where we've had to really sit back and reflect on a lot of things. Like you said, being back in Texas and being with family. So what does this mean? And what does it mean to be a family of God in the middle of this? And clearly the challenges are nothing new. I mean, clearly from this, that there was sin back in Jude's day and there was sin in our day. And we all need to be pulled back and reminded, okay, this is how God worked in the past for good. Clearly he led the uh, Israelites back to the promised land. Clearly he, you know, is, has power over the angels. Clearly that there was grace even in the midst of Sodom and Gomorrah, but yet we are always going to need to be reminded of that sin and also our need for God's grace. So any, any last thoughts on reminder before we get to verse eight? Nope. I like it so far. All right. Very good. So let us look at verse 8, and I think I'm going to just read verse 8 for now and, uh, and, and reflect on that. So verse 8, Jude 8. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So any thoughts on that verse, Pastor? I mean, once again, just uh, Pastor Finner, the... the the strong verbs here, verbs are always uh, what you always pay attention to, defile the flesh, reject authority, blaspheme the glorious ones. Uh, when you are messing around, when, 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 when you think you're just playing around with sin, it's actually a bigger issue than that. And uh, you can see that in the strength of the verbs here that um, it, it's a big deal. You, you know, it, it's, it's not just... Uh, well, you know, and I think this is the attitude, if we're honest, this is the attitude we have sometimes, is that, well, I like to sin, Jesus likes to forgive, we should get along fine. And it, it's a lot worse than that, uh, in that even those flirtations with sin and, and those sorts of things, um, it is fighting words, and it is a big deal. And uh, oftentimes I think we dismiss that, but, but uh, it matters, and, and you're not just, we're not just messing around here. I like how you said that, the, to, to take the seriousness of sin, because first of all, our sin is what brought Jesus to the cross. I mean, this is, not a, this is not a small deal. This was God himself having to come here, submit himself, and to die. I mean, that's, that's the extent of what God does for us. And secondly, it also, as we look at Psalm Gomorrah again, and it kind of pulls us into verse 8, where this defilement and rejection of authority and blasphemy that happens is, is, is very real, and it happens quickly. And I think in our culture, we, we tend to overlook a lot of these things, but it is something for us to once again be reminded of. I like to, how he says, relying on their dreams. 
with just about uh, three minutes, two, three minutes here, what are the certain things that you think, Pastor, that we rely on above God at times in our world today? Yeah, so I think that a lot of times we place, and this is probably a little bit different for every person, but um, mm-hmm. I, I think we place our intellectual thoughts or reasoning or, or things like that, uh, we place that above the will and the pleasures of God. And, and so we think, uh, well, well, I'll say it this way. Um, every single person thinks that they're the exception to the rule, right? And so um, I know God says that I should do this, but like, it's different. You know, he doesn't know my context. He doesn't know the relationships here that I'm dealing with. And, and so, you know, for example, if I, if I just tell a little white lie to this person, um, surely God wasn't thinking about that when he gave this rule about bearing false witness and everything. Like, I'll just do this and I'll get by and ultimately things will be okay um, because I've figured it out myself. And, and so um, I, I think uh, that's, that's kind of a dream thing. Uh, is, mm. is just we imagine that we have a better solution than that which God has already defined and, and has already laid out for us. And, um, man, that's so easy to do. And uh, I, I, I think uh, every, every Christian can remember a time when they've, when they've put themselves in that position, um, you know, put themselves above God. I, I think it's well, Brady. I know we're running out of time in this segment. Um, but we, as people, oftentimes uh, think that, Yes, we can do it. Yes, we can figure it out. We can do it on our own. Um, when, when man, God, God has already laid laid out things for us, and it's a good life. That that's that's the other thing that we miss often is is that the the life that God has tracked for us uh, is a life of joy, and the life that if we made our decisions for ourselves, uh, we'd be in a lot worse shape than than if we just uh, followed Him and did as well. Absolutely. And and that's something that often we think of as something that happens only when we're young. I know you, you, you have worked with the youth a lot in your ministry, and sometimes we put ourselves in the situation where we say, well, that's just a youth issue, or that's something that when I was young, but now, oh man, I am I'm relying on God and God alone, when the reality is we are always struggling to rely on God alone, especially things like dreams that lead us to a whole slew of other issues. But we will get more to this after the break. We need to get to that break, but we are studying the book of Jude with Pastor Joshua Knippa. We'll be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org.
Welcome back. We are studying the short um, but profound and powerful words of Jude, 25 verses of this epistle with Pastor Joshua Knippa of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Nederland, Texas. As we look at the next um, verses, uh, 9 through 25, Pastor Knippa, one of the things I want us to think about is the beauty of the words that are about to be come to us. It's almost poetic how he speaks about the past, how he adds a few things that sometimes are a little uncomfortable to understand because they're not straight from the scriptures, which we don't have to get too much into, but I think is a unique thing. But also he uses, lack of a better word that I have in my mind right now, of analogies and pointing us to the truth of really the problem when we're not relying on God above all things. This is first commandment issues. Do we fear love and trust? What do we fear love and trust in? So as you look at these last verses, there's a lot of uh, beautiful language. There's a lot of pointing us um, to the problem when we don't focus on the word of God and he makes some good arguments. So any any thoughts as we look at these last uh, number of verses for us to think about? Yeah, Pastor Fenner, glad to be back with you here for the next segment. Uh, yeah, I I appreciate your your use of the word poetic in, in the way that, that Jude makes these references and these allusions to other events, uh, some of them outside of uh, Scripture, in fact, and, and we could get bogged down in that, but like you said, we don't want to do that too much. Uh, people can look that up on their own. Uh, but uh, certainly, uh, Jude takes us uh, here forward, and uh, even in the midst of some of that, uh, language. Uh, he he certainly proclaims the gospel, and, and it's something that uh, that we can really value here, especially the last uh, few verses of the of the section here. Awesome. So let's dig in verses nine and ten of Jude. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, "The Lord rebuke you." But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning reasoning animals, understand instinctively. So this goes into uh, what? When, when did this happen? Michael and the <laughs> devil fighting over Moses? How would you describe this, Pastor? Yeah, so it's a an, a, an event that is is not you know, really described for us, uh, in scripture. I, I, I do think, and, and so, you know, maybe that's something that, that we can talk to Moses about in eternity. Uh, but I do think that the, <laughs> the, the last part of it though, uh, is, is really the, our takeaway from it, I think is that, uh, when the archangel Michael in this situation spoke, uh, he said, the Lord rebuke you. So, uh, it, it is the priority for even an angel of, uh, you know, of the heavenlies that he doesn't speak upon his own authority. That's not what he proclaims that that's not where he speaks out of. Instead, uh, he calls upon the Lord and says, the Lord re rebuke you for uh, wickedness and, and, and evil. And so, um, that's, uh, I don't know if encouragement is the right word, but, but it certainly illustrates that, that the angels have their hearts and have their priorities in the, in the right place and that they're any power that they have, they know where it comes from and it comes from the Lord. And here is the archangel Michael. So this isn't just an angel who clearly would have a closer connection to God. I mean, they're with God. Um, but the archangel himself isn't arguing by the, his own authority. 
but he says even the Lord rebuke you. And clearly there's people in this church or in this community that basically are saying, I have all authority, that I'm the one who understands all this. And they, you know, they're like unreasoning animals, understanding instinctively. How would you, how would you, uh, how would you preach that? You are all unreasoning animals, you think? How would you do that in a sermon? Yeah, well, I think uh, too, <laughs> Um, and this, then Pastor Finner, I'm glad, to, glad you brought this up because this does speak to a kind of a wider question. I, I think that we wrestle with in our culture is that uh, we've we've gotten to this place where uh, the attitude of a lot of people is that well, if something is natural, it's good and it's right, and it it's it's you know it's just what happens. And so I I I just I just did what I did, and it. it what what Jude called us back into it is is you need to think about that some more, uh, because everybody just doing well you know back to the time of the judges right everybody did what was right in his own eyes um, that's a virtue now in in many places in our culture and uh, it it when when it they talk about it in the time of the judges it's bad and when Jude talks about it here it's bad and uh, just doing what is natural um, out of our sinful flesh, out of our sinful nature that comes all the way back from our first parents, Adam and Eve, uh, that is something that we need to fight and we need to struggle with uh, in in those strong terms as we've been discussing here in Jude. Um, that's not the best outcome, uh, just doing what comes naturally. Uh, and in fact, that leads that absolutely leads to our own destruction and damnation. And uh, instead, uh, God calls us to something different. God calls us to something higher. God created us for something different, for something higher, uh, for for you know His glory. And we need to constantly struggle against that. And it is a fight with our culture that says, if it feels good, do it. Um, when in fact, uh, actually, oftentimes that's the that's the worst thing you can do. Right, right. And and if it happens in nature, does not mean that's what God has called us as humanity or as his creation to live our lives. And we see this happen um, all over the place. We don't need to get in all the details, but we do see it quite often that, well, this is true in the animal kingdom. Therefore, it should be true for us when Lord have mercy, if you've been around, you know, a dog or other animals long enough, you know, they're not humans. God, God, you know, love them. We love them, but uh, they're not humans. And God has made it us, has made us uh, his creation um, unique in, you know, in, in Christ and in his, in his image. And therefore, our standards probably need to be stepped up a notch if we're going to go too far with that. And this is nothing new. I mean, think about this is that he says they're like unreasoning animals. So there probably was a few cases there where they're like, you know, it happens in nature. It feels good. Do it. I mean, this is why when we look at scripture, there's nothing new under the sun as we hear from Ecclesiastes. And let's not make it sound like there was a golden age where everybody was doing right in God's eyes, as you said in Judges. But here we're dealing with sin. We're dealing with the reality of our fallenness and brokenness and in well, um, as John the Baptist tells us to repent, we need to probably step it up a notch. Any last thoughts on on that, Pastor? Let's keep going. 
All right. So he points us again to scripture and a few other situations here that is 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 um, good for us to be reminded of, as he said prior. So we'll just do verse 11 for now. Uh, Jude 11. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. So there's, there, there's a lot there in a very short verse, but yet there's a lot. So tell us, can you tell us about those three, uh, those, those people here, um, Cain and Balaam and Korah, uh, any, any background on those to unpack that? Yeah, well, you know, uh, the, the issue with, uh, with Cain and, and the story of Cain and Abel, you know, of course, is, is one that, that even non-Christians are, are, are familiar with. Um, and the, the problem was not with his offering and his sacrifice. The problem was with his heart. And uh, his, his heart was in a position uh, where he wasn't giving first and best, which is what God calls us to do. And so uh, it, that's, that's an issue. That's a problem that they're talking about. Um, and I do catch there at the beginning of verse 11 that woe to them. Uh, and, you know, this is echoes of um, when, when Jesus had those uh, woe to you, Corazon, woe to you, Bethsaida. And, and it's just mm. this lament of, of all these places and problems where uh, the people who are supposed to be God's people rejected him uh, and, you know, instead did. Some acted like unreasoning animals, perhaps. Like they went against uh, what God had called them to do and who God had called them to be. Um, all of the, you know, Cain, Balaam, Korah, uh, they... The, the thread that they all have in common is they were dissatisfied uh, with the place that they were or with their position or whatever, and so they rebelled against God, and they sought gain apart from him. And, and so that uh, led to their destruction, and if we do it, it leads to our destruction as well. Oh, man, you know, and this is where I encourage anybody who is looking at this today that you look up those stories, um, these these true stories of Cain and obviously did not end well with murder um, for for Balaam, you know, as he sought financial gain and that did not end well. And then uh, donkey, he didn't end up donkey well, I'll say it that way, <laughs> and uh, and perished uh, and, and Korah and his rebellion, I mean, literally gets swallowed up in the earth. This is a reminder that sin is serious in these um, accounts. Once again, he says, let me remind you that these are real things and it might not, you might not be swallowed by the earth or have a donkey start talking to you, but uh, there will be consequences, as our parents would tell us, consequences for our action and ultimately affect our faith. So last thoughts before we move on, Pastor? Yeah, no, and I, I just, uh, this continues to be, this echoes throughout the passage of just there's an urgency here uh, that this needs to be uh, taken care of. Uh, I'm reminded of, uh, and I'm going to mess this up, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit from uh, uh, President Kishnick, uh, something that, that he would say, but uh, something to the effect of uh, our time here is short, hell is hot, and forever is a long time. And um, that, <laughs> yeah, and so uh, that it, it, there's an urgency here from Jude that, that, I, that I really appreciate um, in both in my own heart and, and uh, as a proclamation to God's people. Absolutely. Now let's continue on. Verses 12 and 13. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as a feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds, swept along by winds, fruitful, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead uprooted. 
wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. This was a poetic part I was talking about uh, previously. And I really do think as we look at this, that there is a, uh, to unpack this is wonderful to really um, look at the words and what they're saying about the emptiness of those who do us and all those who do not rely on God for salvation, grace, and also living out our lives. So any, any thoughts on these very powerful poetic words in 1213? Well, and it's just what the, the illustrations he uses are things, people, you, you know, objects acting the, in the opposite way of how they were designed to act, right? The shepherds mm. are not supposed to feed themselves. They're supposed to feed the sheep, right? The clouds, uh, if the clouds are waterless, it means we're not getting any rain from the clouds. So, well, that's, that's what the clouds are there for. Um, the, the fruitless trees in autumn, like autumn's when we harvest. And if the trees don't have any fruit, they're worthless. And, and, and these sorts of things, um, I, my, as you mentioned, poetic, uh, poetic ways there, uh, Pastor Finnern. Um, my favorite one of that section is wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. And <laughs> I, I just, I just love that because, um, oftentimes that which we think is going to give us or bring us or display glory, uh, when we do it, it actually brings us our, it actually brings us shame. And it, it, we, we're proclaiming something that we think is good, but is actually bad and, and makes us look uh, even worse. Um, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, the reference or whatever uh, to, um, you know, if you have a baby and the baby makes his diaper and uh, you go to change it because that's what you need to do because you can't just sit in it. But the baby's upset and crying and everything, and it's, you know, I don't want you to take this away from me. It's warm and it's mine. And we do that often with our uh, <laughs> sin. I think that's a Dave Ramsey-ism there. Uh, but we do that often with our sin as we make a mess. And, um, you know, God's will and God's path to clean it up is right there before us, but um, we'd rather just sit in it. And, and uh, we, I see that uh, again and again here in this section. Right. And this is, I mean, I think these verses are one of the more profound, definitely of this epistle, but very profound of, of, of Scripture. Obviously not the most profound, but one that I really enjoy digging into this because you have, first of all, the hidden feast of your love feast, which, which is kind of that understanding of you're not even repenting before you take communion is what uh, Dr. Uh, Geese was talking about in his commentary. Um, it's nice to have shepherds, but they feed themselves. What's the point? Uh, waterless clouds. I mean, clouds are cool when you're flying. Like, wow, that looks really cool. But what's the point of clouds if they're not going to give rain? You know, um, like you said in the other ones there, but the wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. He talks about in his commentary about how these waves come and they do nothing for us, but give us foam. I mean, foam that does nothing. It just, it, it's disgusting. There's nothing good to this whatsoever. And finally, the wandering stars. For me, I was thinking about this because when I was a kid, I remember driving with my dad one time. We saw all these shooting stars. And, wow, that is so cool. And in our culture, that's really, we don't think much about stars. But in that context, he, in the commentary, once again, he talks about how stars were important to get around and to travel. 
And what good does it do if you're in the middle of the sea or in the middle of the ocean or something, you're trying to find your way and a shooting star comes. That that star is worthless. There's nothing (laughs) that it's doing. And he is showing the emptiness. This almost goes back to Ecclesiastes where, you know, everything is meaningless without God. And he's once again showing this is where these people are at. They they think they're doing great things. It looks cool, but it's not giving any benefit, especially for salvation. I these verses were very profound as I read them. Any last thoughts before we move on? No, I think that's great. And yeah, that that idea of a wandering star, you know, we all know we we got the North Star and that's that's how for centuries that's how human beings figured out where they were and where they were headed and everything and uh if you can't even if you can't rely on that uh you're you're a goner and uh he he he's saying here like your unrighteousness and and when you get off track like that that's that's what you are it's it's like trying to to reference a star that you don't know where it's really supposed to be Right, and we're just wandering around. So let's move on to verses 14 and 15. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict and all ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These verses are a little bit, a uh, little bit confusing, I would say, but also have a very clear message. And what would you say that is, Pastor? Yeah. So the reference to Enoch is is made to a kind of extra biblical writing that we don't consider to be a part of the canon, but but can be useful. And and certainly with Jude's reference here, Jude finds it uh, to be helpful. Uh, but uh, just uh, talks about this that um, where things have gotten off off path ultimately god will bring justice and god will bring judgment um and when people are ungodly and when ungodly people commit ungodly acts uh ultimately they are committing them against him and uh he will not you know that will not return empty like that will not go unobserved by the lord Absolutely. And th- and that's where judgment is coming. Now, reminder, Jude does not keep us in this. It gets better, I'll say it that way, from these rest of these verses. But I really do appreciate the seriousness that it brings, because that's something we need to hear today, is that what we do and what we believe and, I would say, our worldview matters. And he's really setting it up here to show, from the Old Testament, from other bib- extra-biblical things, to show what do you rely on? And where is your hope? Let's continue in verse 16. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud mouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Well, I think those words are pretty self-explanatory, but any last thoughts on that? <laughs> no, I just uh, appreciate when... Uh... Jude or any of the uh, biblical authors get very descriptive, and um, when you when you read the phrase "they're loudmouth boasters," um, we all have somebody who comes to mind, right? And uh, I think uh, he puts that in there. Maybe Jude has somebody in mind when a specific person when he's writing that. I don't know, but uh, it certainly um, is, is something that we can see and that we need to guard against with our own hearts as well. 
Absolutely. And and another reminder for us that we could all fall into that and so repent as the coming of our Lord is near. Let's continue, 17 through 19. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. So my look at this is really saying we shouldn't be surprised when this is happening. We shouldn't be surprised this is here. You see this all over the place in the Gospels too. Jesus talks about what it will be like towards the end. Uh, We look at stories um, throughout the Bible that remind us that sin is nothing new and that here we we have then and we have today a reminder that this is nothing new under the sun. So uh, any, any thoughts on that as he talks about these predictions and passions and everything else? Yeah, well, and it identifies those passions as ungodly, and then uh, to to kind of summarize or to to bring together a description of who he's talking about, he talks about worldly people, and so um, there's this contrast that gets set up. Uh, John does it really well in his uh, gospel, but uh, the contrast between the world and God, or the things of the world and the things of God, and the world is just this. Uh, it's shorthand in in the New Testament, especially for uh, everything that is aligned against God in the way that He would do things. And so, uh, if you are one who is worldly, then you are aligned with that which is against everything that God uh, lays out for us. And so, um, and man, even in John 17, right, Jesus. Uh, uh, prays for us, and uh, he says explicitly, "I do not pray for the world," uh, which which is a um, interesting thing to think about. Uh, he doesn't pray for the world; he prays for those who belong to him, who are in the world, which is uh, that's who we are. And so, um, the, the the things of the world that would draw us away from our relationship with God uh, that is what we want to separate ourselves from, so that we can draw closer to Him. And that's something that's interesting throughout the Bible. Clearly, Jesus has come uh, for the Son, came to uh, the Father, so love the world. But when it talks about the world, it's not always put in a good light. Often, it's in a very negative light. Um, and that's why it's it's good when he says, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. So that is, mm-hmm. that's the problem, is that when we've denied the Holy Spirit, which is, you know, a, a major sin in the Bible as well. So he wraps it up there, I would argue, with just a lot of warning for everybody. Listen, there is going to be um, a lack of faith. There's going to be sin. There's going to be problems. But here we go. Verses 20 through 23, he starts going back to what I would say in the first two verses, telling us about who you are. Verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So he begins this by saying, but you beloved, so you're loved by God, uh, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. He is pointing them once again of who you are and the rest of it. He gives us some very good instructions. What are the things he's reminding us here as God's people? 
Well, and he starts it there, at the as you pointed out, uh, Pastor Fenner, but you, beloved, is uh, it draws us back to the beginning of the epistle here, and that's how he first identified God's people, uh, and then he gave all these words of warning, um, and then he kind of brings it back, as uh, perhaps uh, Dr. Norman Nagel would say, uh, this is the good stuff here, and uh, <laughs> that that is this proclamation of the of the gospel in this in this place. Like, keep yourself. Uh, in the Lord. Uh, that faith leads to eternal life. Uh, and, and this is very interesting too, verse 22 there, saying that all of these sins that I talked about, the, you know, those who are exhibiting them and, and doing them, um, have mercy on them and, and try to get them out of the fire. And I appreciate that very much is, is just like, there is a judgment on the 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 sinfulness and there's an identification of that and a warning against it uh, but also let's remember that these are people too and uh, but for the grace of Christ we we would be in the same boat and and so let's um, let's get a fire extinguisher and and let's point it at them and and let's let's get them out of the position that they're in and and I'm gonna give you strength to do that and. Um, you need to continue to, you know, distance yourself from their sin, but but certainly uh, do do all you can to bring them along in the grace and mercy of Christ. And I love the the, the term the words he used before that, which is waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we have to be patient, and at the same time to have mercy on those who doubt. Because we all go through doubts, you know, I mean, you have Doubting Thomas. Unfortunately, his whole name is based on an event where he wasn't quite sure about the resurrection, which Lord have mercy, I think all of us would be Doubting Thomases. Um, but to realize there will always be people who doubt, and we will doubt, but our hope is in Christ and Christ alone. And and uh, the call for all as Christians to proclaim the excellencies of Christ who has called us out of darkness. We only have three minutes left here. I'm going to read these last few verses and get a last few words from you, Pastor. Mm-hmm. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through our Lord Jesus Christ, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. With just about two minutes left here, Pastor, give us your last thoughts on uh, this final doxology from Jude to the Christian people. Yeah, it's just this reminder of the power uh, of the grace of God and the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that uh, his death and resurrection makes us blameless uh, before God, that uh, even in our struggles in the midst of everything that's that's there, that uh, all the things that we do that would separate us from him, on account of Jesus Christ, uh, God views us as blameless. And and what a relief, what a blessing, what a word of gospel uh, that we get right here at the end, uh, that that God of the universe who has that glory and dominion and majesty, I love it when we get a majesty reference, uh, Pastor mm. Fenner, uh, but mm. uh, that God uh, looks at us and on account of Jesus calls us his friends, and uh, it's, it's, it really is amazing. 
Absolutely. And Lord, help us to rely on him. As the hymn says, fight the good fight with all your might. Christ is your strength and Christ your right. And I love how it ends. Faint not nor fear his arms are near. He changes not who holds you dear. These are the words that we remember as we look at the book of Jude. Pastor, this will be the end here, um, but Pastor Joshua Knipper is pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran in Nederland, Texas, helping us today with the book of Jude. Um, pastor Knipper, thank you for being our guest. Always a joy, Pastor Finner, and uh, congratulations on the, on the gig here, and uh, you're doing a great job, and I look forward to, to hearing more from you. Thank you, and God bless you. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and may the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands. been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.